Well, thank you, musicians. That was just awesome. We look forward to singing together in glory one day. I think it's going to sound something like that. Very warm welcome from myself as well. God bless you as you join us this morning. Uh, we are a little intimidated, of course, by these limited services where it's first come, first served, uh, mainly because you guys are the first in. You made it. By Monday, everything's full, and that means you are keen. You are the spiritual ones in the church. So that's why it's a bit intimidating. Uh, as I just ask the Lord's blessing as we consider his word, you may want to turn to 1 John chapter 1. Thank you, Seb, for reading that for us, uh, verses 5 to 7. Oh God, our Father, as we come now to the light of your word, we just cry to you that we may decrease and that you may increase in our estimations, in our thinking, and in our lives. We ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. I'd like to start by sharing a burden with you, something that disturbs me deeply, grieves my heart and soul, and I'm sure yours too. It's the mystery of prominent people of God to whom we have looked up to for years and envy, uh, who have blessed us with their ministry, and then they prove to have been living double lives. We can mention names because it's all over the social media. The recent Ravi Zacharias revelations some of you may have been to Skuchheim, the Reformed Conference, where Dr. Ian Campbell ministered with great blessing to the folks there, and the very sad story of his suicide after revelations of multiple affairs in his church. And then Joshua Harris, the young person's guru, whose books we read and whose sermons we listened to, uh, denied the faith, left his wife. And I can remember Clint standing here in this place, one evening service, weeping uncontrollably because a close friend of his and professor um, had left the faith, had denied the faith, and Clint had stayed in his home in the States. And here in my history at HBC, which is uh, pretty long, about 40 years, there have been those whom I've served alongside and whom we've had fellowship with, who have left the faith seemingly never to return. How does it affect us? How do you respond? Well, for me, it, it's, it's confusing. And it builds a degree of cynicism, doesn't it? We look around at those whom we love, maybe even our own marriage partners, and we say, oh, are you living a double life that I don't know about? Here we have great men of God that seem to have pulled it off for years. And we look at ourselves and say, could this happen to me? Somehow the older we get, the more we realize how easy it is to deceive and be deceived. However, 
The good news is that this should not really surprise us. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. God has spoken about these things and has addressed them for our understanding, comfort, and warning in his word. And the Apostle John wrote a letter to churches where members who were very much part of church life had left. The remaining members were grieved and confused, just like we are. And so John writes to these folks to remind them of God's eternal truths that would help them understand and know whether they were truly in the faith and would not be part of those who leave. And so if you want to answer the vital question, how can I know I'm for real, that I will not fall away, you need to prayerfully consider the first letter of John. Now, you'll be glad to know that um, we're not going to do that, the whole book of John this morning. I want to zoom in to just the opening uh, verses that set the scenes from it. But let's remember that in 1 John 5, towards the end, John actually states the main purpose of this book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know. Knowing and having this assurance is very big for John. In fact, the word know appears 35 times in this short book. Uh, way more than any other book in the New Testament other than John's own gospel, which has it 99 times. So knowing this truth, that we are truly have eternal life and that we would not be among those who leave the faith, it's very important that we understand this book. And so from uh, verses 3 to 7, I want to extract three Ds. Um, so that we can remember, hopefully. Number one, defining light and darkness. He opens by saying, you're either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. What does light and darkness mean to us and in the scriptures? Secondly, determining whether we are in the light or in the darkness. How will we know our walk? Are we those walking in the light or are we those walking in the darkness? And finally, decisions, decisions. In the light of number two, determining what is your decision. So number one, defining light and darkness. John has contrasted in these opening verses, as we read on the screen just now, those who walk in light and those who walk in darkness. And so, what does light mean? Well, John says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, John starts with God. It's a very good place to start, brothers and sisters. In any decision we make, in anything we're trying to understand, we must start with God. God made us. 
in His image. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the source of all knowledge and is the ultimate purpose of all things. As the, as the Apostle Paul said, from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. So it's a good place to start. And so what does it mean when John says, God is light? Well, uh, you'll have to trust me, we could visit many passages of Scripture, but I've distilled two fundamental meanings for us this morning. Number one, light means to know and understand with insight. We don't know what's going on in the dark, do we? That's why it's scary in the dark. Our imagination runs wild, hey? Until someone switches on the light, then we know what's going on. Reminds me of a time I was visiting Warwick Castle when we were visiting our, our son in England. And uh, they took us down into the dungeons of this ancient castle. And there were some actors from the local acting school who uh, sort of were part of the entertainment for the, the tourists like us. And we went from room to room, and there was this story and that story, and then they took us into a room where they said there was a ghost. And there was eerie music playing. And we sat uh, around the, corner, uh, the corners of, against the walls on benches, and then they switched off the lights. And we were in total darkness. And the music played, and you could hear eerie voices that were ghostly. And then they switched on the lights, and one of the actors was now one inch from one of the tourists, their face, uh, with an ugly mask on. So when the light came on, here was this face, and naturally the person ah, freaked out. And that was part of the show. But the point I'm trying to make is this. That person was entirely unaware of this person very close to them. Why? It was dark. Couldn't see. They had no light. When the light was on, the truth could be seen. And God is the source of all truth and knowledge, dear friends. And he has not left us wondering about himself. Imagining who is God, what's he like, what's he done, how can I know him? He has revealed himself in the apostles and prophets and ultimately in Jesus himself who said, I am the light of the world. And so God is light. And so walking in light means walking with true knowledge, walking with insight into his truth. Secondly, Light means moral purity. God is light because he is absolutely holy and pure, perfectly good and righteous. If we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, we pick up this theme of light meaning our moral behavior. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like the thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. 
You are not of the night or of the darkness. Same contrast, hey? So then let us not sleep. Here's action, as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. And then he gives a whole lot of examples of what that means. Drunkenness and so on. So here we see light has to do with pure behavior. And so um, we have seen that light means truth and good behavior blended together. Good behavior leading, good truth leading to good behavior in a package. Darkness is obviously the opposite. It's to think falsely. It's to have error in our heads. It's to not understand. It's to not see. And then not to follow God's moral standards of purity. Let's understand, folks, both are vital. They are an integrated package. You see, there are some unbelievers who think wrongly. They don't understand biblical truth. They don't care about it. In fact, they may even hate it. But my goodness, their behavior is, it outperforms Christians. These are decent people. They give to, uh, to the poor. They have good marriages. They raise their children properly. Uh, so the, the light of their behavior is fair, but their knowledge is kissed as wrong as it's, it's bad, and that's not going to save them. And then we have some believers even, who, who claim to be believers anyway, who believe the right things. They understand Scripture. They, they listen to Auntie Judy from childhood, and they know the truth. They've got light, that light. But the light of their behavior is inconsistent. There's no moral purity there. There's regular patterns of sin. They're not going to be saved either. So when we speak of light, it's an integration of knowledge and behavior. It's faith and works, if you like. So let's move then to the second D. Knowing now what light and darkness means, to an extent, where are you? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? How can you determine and how will you know? Well, John uses the term walking in darkness and or light. Now, what does walking mean? Essentially, it means the general direction and pattern of your life. If I choose in my head from knowledge I have that this is the media center and I have some books to return and uh, I've been chased by sire, now I'm going to walk that way. You can see it. It's an outcome. It's behavior. Or if my battery's running low on my device, I quickly need to charge it. I know from knowledge it's in the back room here, and so I will walk in that direction. It's the pattern that follows your choices. That's what walking means, and the word walk is all over the Bible in that sense. Ephesians 2 verse 10 uses it, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. And so, dear friends, how will we know whether the pattern of our life is light or darkness? Well, our passage gives the answers. And we're going to look at four tests. A little list of four that you can tick or, or cross to see whether you are walking in the light or not, dear brother or sister or friend. Number one is obvious. Light, walking in the light means being open and transparent. When the light is on in a room, especially a bright light, you can see everything. You can't cover up the dirt in the light. And so, dear friend, you cannot hide things from God. His eyes are all seeing. But as we've seen, there are many examples where we hide stuff from one another. How devastating for the wife of that pastor who committed suicide to discover that he had many secret affairs that were hidden away. It's not walking in the light. There's no transparency there. Sadly, the truth was that her church blamed her for lying about affairs and disfellowshipped her. How awful for that wife. Thank God, later the church realized their error, repented and apologized and invited her back. So if you are walking in the light, dear friend, you are sincere, you are open, you're not hiding anything. We see in Scripture what God did to Achan and his family for stealing the enemy's goods and hiding them under their pillow when they were supposed to submit them to the leaders of Israel. And we see how David suffered from trying to hide his sin with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband. It was tragedy for the rest of his life. Dear friends, if you're walking in the light, you are open. You can say to any of your brothers and sisters, come and look at my life. Come and look at my websites. Come and look at the way I treat my wife. Come and look at things that happen behind closed doors. It's open. It's for you. I don't want to hide anything. That's what walking in the light means. Secondly, clearly from our passage, it means consistency between claims and the general pattern of your life. Look at verse 6. If we say, our confession, our claim, we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's very direct, isn't it? And John is known as the apostle of love. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. You're fooling yourself. Dear friend, if you are claiming to be a Christian, maybe you've even declared it publicly with baptism and joining a church and maybe you're even serving publicly, you are saying you have fellowship with God. Back in verse 3, just wind up a little bit there, you'll see 
that John says, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The very purpose Jesus came to earth was to bring you into fellowship with your God. That fellowship is broken by your sin. It can only be restored when you repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus who was punished for your sin and by his blood removed your sin so that you can now be in fellowship. But if you say you have this fellowship, but the pattern of your walk is not in the light, it's not morally pure, how can you have fellowship with the God who is light when you are in darkness? It cannot happen. That's what John is saying. And he, he's, he's referring to those who left the church because they claimed special experience and fellowship with God. This was the early Gnostics. We have beautiful relationship with God. It feels good, but we live the way we like. And you guys are, are a bit strict, so we're leaving you. That's what happened. And so John is clarifying that with these people. And so if you want to know you're not one of those who's going to leave, does your life, the pattern of your life, line up with the God of light? Are you walking in the light? Some of you may be saying, Sure. Are you saying, if I'm not perfect, I'm not walking in the light? God is perfect. That's what light means. Morally pure. I'm not morally pure. So how can I be walking in the light? What are you saying here? Well, please notice that I've used the term general pattern of your life. And look at verses 8 and 9, dear friends. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess those sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, those ones we confessed, and all the others that we didn't even know about, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, John Stott, one of the great commentators in the book of John, said this, the way to have fellowship with a God who is light is not to deny the fact or effects of sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate God's provision for our cleansing. Peter Barnes, an Australian commentator, who also liked Stott because he quoted him, said this, On the subject of sin, the Bible walks a tightrope. John Stott has a very valid point when he says, It is possible to be too lenient or too severe towards sin. What he means in 1 John 1, 6 is that we cannot walk in sin and claim fellowship with God. But verse 8 and 10 tells us we are sinners by nature and conduct. Sin is inevitable, 
but inexcusable. That is the terrible human dilemma. So how do we deal with that dilemma? Well, we've seen in the checklist we're working through that to walk in the light means walking with open transparency, no secrets. It means our actions generally lining up with our claims. But now we see that walking in the light means being sensitive to our sin. We actually feel this terrible human dilemma. Our sin grieves us. We hate it. We cannot stand being out of fellowship with our loving Father. We cannot be casual with sin. So slowly but surely, we make progress in walking in the light. The road is slowly uphill. We may drop into a hole every now and again. But the pattern is growth. We become more pure and holy and break sinful habits of many years and patterns in our lives. Bible calls it sanctification, the growing in grace, becoming more like Christ. Dear friends, I've had many uh, young folks and older folks sharing with me, uh, expressing doubts about their salvation in tears and saying, I'm so sinful. I keep falling into sin. How can God love me and accept me? This is that tightrope. And my response usually is this. Take comfort. Look away from yourself to the finished work of Christ. Your grounding of acceptance with God and relationship with God is not you. It's Christ. And I'm encouraged by your grief. Because those who walk in darkness and don't know Christ don't care when they sin. They're not bothered about it. They can sin with ease and maybe just casually say, oh, it's under the blood. Jesus will forgive it. Please listen to me now. If you can sin habitually with casual ease and you know it, you are in a very dangerous place. That's what John's saying here. You may say you know Jesus. You may have made a decision in the past. You may even be a leader and servant of, of whatever uh, ministry in this church. But if you're casual about disobeying God, you lie and do not practice the truth. That's what John's saying, brothers and sisters. And so I plead with you, if that is you, you must speak to somebody you trust. You must discern yourself. You must flee for mercy to Christ and deal with this pattern. So, finally, the fourth sign, not only no secrets, not only um, walking in the light consistently, not only being sensitive to sin, but finally, fellowship with believers. 1 John 1, 7, look at it with me. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
We won't go there, but John goes on to repeat a number of times throughout the rest of the letter that true believers who walk in the light will love their brothers and sisters as Christ has loved us. If we have no time for any of the Christian brothers and sisters we know and show patterns that contradict love, we fool ourselves about walking in the light and about being in fellowship with God because God is also not only light, He is love. Look at 1 John 1 verse 3 again. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. There it is again. Fellowship is big. And then notice he links, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. So fellowship with God comes with a package that you can't separate. If you claim fellowship with God, you must have fellowship with his children. That's what John is saying. That's why God, brothers and sisters, has put us in a local church together to learn to grow in love for one another as we serve our Father of light and our Father of love together. We should be practicing all the one another's, and we should be delighted to do so, even when it hurts, as iron sharpens iron, and uh, relationships which are a mess worth making, as Paul Tripp puts it. We love being together, especially in this time when we have been restricted in gathering. Are you missing it? You should be. We harbor no grudges. We don't gossip because we love and have fellowship with our brothers and sisters. So John is saying a person claiming to be walking in the light, but not belonging to a church and shrinking from relationships with Christians, maybe preferring relationships with unbelievers. The closest friends are not fellow Christians. There's the danger that you lie and do not practice the truth. This is what John is saying. So, there we have four little tests for whether, for deciding and discerning and um, what was the D I used? Uh, that was a test. Determining. Determining whether we are walking in the light or not. Now, finally, decisions. In the light of what we've been saying and the little checklist from this passage, what should we do? What will your decisions be? You see, either you are walking in the light or the darkness. You can't have both. Paul said light can have no fellowship with darkness. You can't be unequally yoked within yourself. I trust we all want to walk even more clearly and definitely in the light. So here are a few applications and possible decisions that relate directly to 
what we've just been saying. First decision, first D, decide to come to Christ. Are you born again? Are you a Christian believer? Have you repented and come to faith in this amazing Savior of light who came to this earth to save you from your sin, which prevents you from a relationship with your God? Are you saved? That's the foundation. That's the beginning of the walk. You can't walk if you're not alive in Christ. Second decision, decide to be open. Are you perhaps hiding stuff behind closed doors, darkness of your mind? There's an example from one of our elders I know. He has a deal with his wife that they can check each other's devices at any time. I, I'm a bit hesitant to do that myself with my wife, mainly because my running times are there, and they are slower than her walking times. So um, I'm a bit embarrassed to share that. But anything else, Barbara must be able to look and see. Are there secrets you need to bring into the light? And know the joy and freedom of casting them away and knowing forgiveness and freedom and a fresh start with Jesus. Does your sin grieve you enough to do that? Or do you love it so much that it, it's a pattern of walking in it? David said in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, hidden, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, openness. Did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Just what John is saying in our passage. <coughs> Excuse me. Third decision. Decide to know more of God's Word. That's where His light is. So walking in the light means being enlightened by the truths of Scripture. Are you enjoying private and public enlightenment from God's Word? The unfolding of your words gives light, says the psalmist. It imparts understanding to the simple. You need God's Word to shed light on the path you are walking. How regular are your quiet times where you personally study, read the Word of God? What are you reading from our awesome media center? Maybe you've been reading so much you haven't returned the book yet. Please do so. The box is here. Like a newborn longing for milk, do you love hearing the Word taught and preached? in Sunday services, in devotions that happen on Tuesday and Thursday, and home groups. Are you sad when you have to miss these? This is deciding to know God's Word more. Fourthly, decide to fellowship with God. John has spoken of fellowship with God in this passage. Do you privately commune, talk to God in prayer, 
pouring out your heart like a child to a father, casting burdens on him because he cares for you? Do you love the relationship and fellowship with God in worshipful singing as we led by our band with beautiful words on Sundays? Or are these things a drag for you? No interest. Finally, decide to fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Online is better than nothing, but do you long for real, live fellowship? Your closest friends are fellow believers, and when you're together with them, what's your conversation? Is it about the things of God, your struggles, your joys? Is it praying together? Is it arguing and debating and about doctrine? It's awesome. Or is there none of that in your life? Do you harbor grudges with any brother or sister in Christ? You've got to sort that out. You've got to decide to do that. You can't walk in the light and have broken fellowship with the brother or sister. It's plain in this passage, and I don't know how many others. And may I just do a quick little punt here. Do you belong to a home group? This vital biblical ministry is where we can practice these things, walking in the light. Truth, light comes through the study of the Scriptures, Fellowship with God in prayer together. Fellowship with each other as we share burdens and pray for one another and discuss our lives together. That's the purpose of home groups. And at our elders meeting on Friday night, we rejoiced that there are 160 members, 181 in total, because we have non-members also attending, who have joined groups either in person or online in the last six months. But we are and we were saddened and grieved that there are 106 members, people who have signed up to be part of this accountable community who have not attended a home group once in six months and maybe even never. Please decide the final D to call Mindy this week and join a group so that you can be helped with walking in the light, brothers and sisters. And so in closing, we opened with sad stories of those who seemed to be walking in the light, but were actually walking in darkness. May I say with a fair degree of confidence, because it's from God's word, that either one or more of these five decisions were not present in those people's lives. It's like a guarantee. If by God's grace you are making these decisions, you will not fall away. You will walk in the light. Verse 7, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and Him we know, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we cry to you for mercy, the God of light. In your holy presence, we feel our weakness and sin. But thank you for your grace that we can come to you and know daily forgiveness. Our Father, grant to this people, grant to each one of us a delight, a joy, an ability to walk in the light, we pray. For those who are still walking in darkness, O oh Lord, would you shine your light, please. For Jesus' sake, amen.